Hey, everybody, it's Ian King, athlete, advocate, coach, educator, and founder of King Sports International. We've been operating this business for oh, quite a few decades, but um, in this instance, we're going back one decade. We're going back one decade to a young athlete who turned up. I'm not sure, you know, a teenager, I'm, I'm sure she can tell us exactly how old, but that was a decade ago, and there's been a lot of water under the bridge. <laughs> so, Heather, welcome to this chat. Hello. I was 12-ish. <laughs> wow. 12 yeah. or 13. Yes, excellent. So, <laughs> Heather, it's been, it's been a, an interesting journey for you. I'm very impressed with what you've done. So um, let's go chronologically. So when you turned mm-hmm. up at um, with me, I believe you were throwing in track. Um, yes. And you're playing um, that popular game that the girls play in Australia that they don't mm-hmm. play at the Olympics, but they play at the Commonwealth Games. Yes, I was a netball player. <laughs> Used to be wing defence in the centre. WD and C, excellent. So after uh, you got back on the straight and narrow with your injuries and you were, I remember you were a pretty, pretty good student too. I think there were some you know, expectations around your grades. Is that uh, you were doing a pretty intense high school schedule? Yes. <laughs> uh, yes, there was a, a pretty big emphasis on uh, my schooling life and straight out of uh, school I went into engineering. So it was it was good. <laughs> it was intense. Um, yes, especially in uh, grade 12, there was more of a push towards the academic side than there was to the sports side, but um, it swapped back. <laughs> yes, yes. So, Eventually. <laughs> so, so, so can I ask, how, lo- how long did you stay at engineering for? One year. <laughs> One year. One Excellent. year, Yes. I uh, so, did not enjoy it. Yes, no, I can understand that. I mean, it's it's one thing to have the academic intelligence to do something. It's another thing to, you know, have a competitive passion that's, yeah. you, you know, you, you might be wanting to do something else. So when did the um, transition into start work begin? When did you, when did you start dipping your toes in the start work? Um, uh, so... Uh, when I finished engineering, I started trying to get some acting roles um, and then eventually got myself a role. This is 2016, I think, uh, 15 or oh, it must have been 2015. Um, and I eventually got a role. Um, uh, it was as the Fruit Ninja. Do you remember the, the phone app? Um, we had to swipe the fruit with the samurai sword. I've got I've got to make an admission, Heather. I don't watch a lot of media. I, I, <laughs> I'm probably not your best person to do a research on on uh, consumer habits. Yeah, that's okay. Well, it was for Fruit Ninja, um, where you you slash fruit with a samurai sword, um, and so they wanted me as part of that to go get some samurai sword training, so that I wasn't just swinging wildly at fruit. And so they sent me off to a stunt facility on the Gold Coast. This was again back when I lived in Queensland um and when I was there I met some stunties um and they basically just said to me come along and try our proper stunt trainings and I did and I didn't leave for a year and a half or two years (laughs) from that particular training facility so that was would have been your second year at university so to speak yes technically uh yep 
yeah, so that I moved to Melbourne in 2017. So, yes, 16 and or must have been the end of 15, 16 and then early 17. Um, I spent at this this facility on the Gold Coast and then at the end of 2016 I got qualified as a stunt performer. So I'm assuming it was a really good school or you were really attracted to what they did at the school? Which one or both? Um, I was not good in the beginning. I had a lot of strength. Um, I didn't have a lot of coordination not not that particular coordination it was very dancer gymnastics based and my mm. background was um athletics and um running type yes. stuff which didn't cross over particularly well so no I wasn't very good in the beginning um so I must have liked the facility <laughs> or I did like the facility and I think I liked the adrenaline and I definitely liked the people who were there um so you've you've obviously got good at your craft so <laughs> Apart from your determination to excel, what are the attributes that you have that that, that suit you to this genre? A lot of it, I think, was um, was my determination. So I um, I've always been very very driven to get better. So if there's been something where I haven't been able to do it or I haven't been particularly good at it. Um, especially if I've been embarrassed by the fact that I haven't been able to do it, um, I will then uh, set my mind to it and I won't stop training whatever that is until I've hit a level where I um, am happy enough with what I can do. <laughs> I'm very mm. much a perfectionist, so getting to the point where I'm happy is difficult. Um, but, yes, yes, there was a lot of or there is still its determination that drives me to do a lot of it. Um, yeah. So you can understand why I sort of identified you as being a bit of a special athlete back in the day. You, you had something that not every athlete has. I mean, everybody wants to play sport and that's great, but not everybody has that X factor, which you had. It's just a matter of what were you going to do with it? <laughs> yes. Yes, I am incredibly driven. Sometimes too much, so. <laughs> yeah, I know, I'm not sure about the theory, but you know, obviously we need balance in life. But you know, I think the the your too driven line comes from people who aren't as driven. But that's another story. I won't I won't throw myself under the bus. So, without throwing your parents under the bus, what was the response when they you said yeah, I don't really want to do engineering anymore, and maybe I'm going to go and try something else? They were they were incredibly supportive, actually. I think because they could see how unhappy I was in engineering I was having mental breakdowns or crying sessions at least <laughs> um, very often I wasn't really coping with the assessment um, side of it just because um, I think I put too much pressure on myself to do well and then you'd have an off day and yeah so they could see I really wasn't very happy and they could also see that I couldn't really um I didn't have a gauge on where I wanted to go with it. Um, like I had absolutely no idea what type of engineer I wanted to be. I didn't really have an interest in any particular part of engineering. Um, and one of the engineering subjects that I did, as in, so the actual engineering-based one, so I did four subjects and one of them was um, 
literally a get to know engineering subject. Um, and I, for the main assessment for that, I had to build a, um, a water filter system, system for a developing country. Um, and they didn't have money, they didn't have resources, they didn't have any way to get equipment anywhere. Um, they didn't have the skill base to be able to use anything complicated. And so the solu solution I came up with was to fill a bucket with charcoal and sand and then put, like, just filter the water through it. Um, and I got very good grades for my bucket filled with sand. And I wrote a 72-page health and safety report on it, which I still have. <laughs> um, and I did not enjoy it. Mm. Uh, so, yes, I think engineering had been quite sugar-coated um, and I didn't realise how much paperwork, health and safety stuff there was going to be, and I reckon there's even more now. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, no, it's, um, it's a continually changing world in that, in that area. So in, in Startwork, how, how does Australia rate globally? Have you had a chance to get a feeling for that? I mean, you know, we've been relative to, say, the, to America, um, we've we've have for a long time been considered a like an inferior nation in many areas, but in the last decade or two decades, uh, you know, since Steve Irwin came along, Australians have been getting more recognised for their competency. So how do we stack up in um, stunt work? Um, especially recently, um, we're getting a higher and higher regard, I think, within the global stunt world. Um, we're getting a lot more bigger productions coming through, especially Sydney. Um, uh, it it kind of goes in phases, I think, the Australian industry. I know that in the very early 2000s when we had the Matrix come through, um, there was another very big Australian film industry boom. Um, and at the moment we're, we're probably in another one of those um, booms at the moment there's quite there's a lot of work going through there's not necessarily enough stunt performers for the work that's coming through um and yeah generally um yeah, it's it's a successful industry at the moment in australia yeah, they can't find enough people COVID certainly helped us out there. I think there was a few productions, generally speaking, that were, yeah. were done in Australia that wouldn't have been done uh, had it not been COVID. So is the uh, stunt, stunt group in Australia a large um, no. <laughs> group or is it pretty pretty small? It's very, very small. I think um, so there's probably, I could be wrong, I think there's probably a total of about 250 stunt performers in Australia. There are probably 50 in Victoria, which is where I'm from, um, and I reckon there are probably five, who, five female stunt performers who consistently work in Victoria. Um, mm. So it's very, very small. It's very, very close-knit. Everybody knows everyone. Um, Everyone hears about everything that everyone does. It's quite political. It's one of the aspects of stunts that I enjoy least. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, humans do that. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> so no, there aren't very many. It's yeah. 
So I'm going to assume that you're in that top echelon in Australian female studies. And if so, what is it that got you there and did you get there quicker than most? Um, I wouldn't say I did get there quicker than most. Um, so I think because of the politics involved, um, there's a lot of distrust no matter how good you are, no matter how skilled you are, no matter how much drive you have, if the right people don't like you um, or you say the wrong thing to the wrong person, then you just aren't, you aren't even going to get a shot. And it usually takes somewhere between three to five years for, um, for people to start trusting you enough, no matter who you are, to start getting used consistently, um, which I hated in the early days. I thought that was a crime. Um, and now as I've been working a bit more and being involved in uh, or being a part of uh, full-time stunt teams, I, I get it a little more because you spend 14 hours a day, five days a week um, with your stunt team. You have to trust them to do all kinds of uh, crazy things. Uh, you have to trust them to put you out, put you out when you're on fire. If you are the one on fire, then they need to trust you not to panic halfway through the stunt, um, which is extremely dangerous. Um, yeah, there's a lot of trust involved. So the more I've got into it, the more I've realised that stunts is significantly based on trust and who you know probably even to the point where I'd say 90% so rather than your skill base. If you're extremely good at something and you're a specialist, then you will get a look in earlier than others. And there are people who that has happened for, but I would say that I was one of the ones that took the, the normal five, well, I think mine was about three-year um, induction process. <laughs> yes, yes. You, you earned, your, earned your stripes, so to speak. Then there, there has been some... So let's just call them serious incidences in stunt work with Australian studies over the last 20 years. I am familiar with at least one. Yeah. And involved the motor vehicle, I believe. Um, you're probably familiar with that, or you'd be more familiar with the ones that I'm not familiar with. So it, it, in other words, there is risk. Yeah, there is definitely risk. Um, I don't think we ever go into doing a stunt um, especially recently, maybe, maybe back 15, 20 years ago, but especially now, I don't think we ever go into a stunt knowing that there is a possibility or accepting that there is a possibility that we might get seriously injured. We don't, um, there will be safety measures put in place now so that there is very, 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 very minimal chance of serious injury. In saying that, it still does happen. Yeah. Um just because what we do is sometimes incredibly risky and sometimes risky. Yeah. it's the it's the time it's the tiny little things that cause thing that cause massive big problems it's not the big stuff um usually unless uh something very stupid happens um it's usually the, a tiny little mistake that was overlooked yeah, like a low the, round in, in a chamber instead of a instead of a um, blank. Yes, things like that. Mm. 
there's been more than one of those in, in my lifetime. There's been quite a few of those, you know, but obviously yes. one more recently. Yes, there have been the very recent one in America. There's been one in Australia. Um, yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about gender equity and stunt. Is there, is there, is there a gender bias or it's pretty equal? Um, in terms of number of performers, very much male-dominated industry. Um, uh, in terms of are they still giving female roles to male performers? Not anymore. Um, yeah, no, it's a very, especially right now, um, uh, gender and race, you pretty much have to cast. Well, you don't have to, but it is um, very much well regarded and frowned upon to cast a male as a female or a white person as a darker-skinned person. Mm. Um, it doesn't really happen very much anymore. Yeah, understandable. Understandable. So what are, what are the... What are the attributes that you think they're looking for in you? What is it that you, and I, I kind of asked this earlier on, but what, what stands you out? What's your unique marketing proposition to the market in terms of when they're selecting talent for the role? Um, physically, my specialty is parkour. Mm -hmm. um, that was something I picked up when I moved to Melbourne, um, and it was it's the thing that I think is most based on everything that I did as, as a child. Um, so it would make sense that that kind of has become um, what I'm hired most physically to do. Um, more recently, I work more commonly, commonly as a stunt rigger um, and it's, a, it's called a stunt assistant. So it's the person who helps the stunt coordinator with whatever that need, whether that be carrying mats, organising stunt performers, anything like that. So, yes, performing-wise, parkour is what I get hired most often to do. Uh, stunt-wise, what I get hired most often to do is, yes, stunt rigging and stunt assist. And I think what sets me apart from other people uh, in that regard is my ability to preempt a situation. So... Um, I won't just react to something that's happening. I will think ahead, think about the problems that may occur, think about the things that we might need, and I will have those things ready and on standby before they need it so that when they ask for it, I can just go, hmm, here you go. Um, yeah, I know that that's something that they very much value um, in stunts in general because things, when they do happen on set, happen very, very quickly. It's usually nothing, 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 sitting around chatting for 10 hours, and then all of a sudden with 10 minutes to go before wrap, it's, okay, let's go, stunt time, and oh, suddenly everything's happening. Um, and so having it all pre-prepared is important. You're not just getting hired for your pretty face. You're getting hired for your <laughs> No, no, definitely not. <laughs> No. So how do you, is there any body management issues in terms of you said you sit around a while and then you, and you hit it? Is it, it does, that must present. And I know there's other 
disciplines of uh, physical activity, uh, you know, that sit around for a long time, maybe you know, be on a tour bus and all of a sudden they've got to perform. So you're not, you're not alone, but it ha- would be unique because the, the movement would be different on most um, uh, sets or most uh, expectations. So do you have any strategies to deal with that to minimise the wear and tear on your body? Yeah, it is. So like you said, just because of the way it is on set, we won't have a chance to warm up properly. It's even before big physical stumps. Um, so the way I, um, I deal with that, I will train to the point where I am a lot better than I need to be and a lot fitter than I need to be so that when it comes to having to do something that's say 60% of my maximum ability, then I can do it colder and less warmed up um, than I I might have previously needed to be. Um, Very sharp, very sharp. It's pretty astute of you to realise that. I had a a, a physical um, demand uh, back in the the early early 80s where I I didn't know that lesson and... um, you know, I got a, I got, I come off second best in a situation where you know it was a life lesson, saying that, you know, when you get un, unpredicted or you know maybe with wisdom you get to predict, but when you, when you get limiting factors upon you, you you need to be better so that you can still perform at your expectation. So nobody knows or you don't feel like you've let yourself down. Mm. So well done, very astute. Thank you. So I'm going to come back to your, your physical requirements in a second. Before I do, let's just talk about the future. What what is you know, I understand. You know, as you get older, you know, is there is there a, a growing financial potential in, in in your in your discipline? Um, where do you see the future? Are you going to be able to study until you're sixty, or or is there a transition? I don't, because the industry is so young, that is probably something that you, ha- you don't have role models on the future. So you're going to have to plan for yourself. Well, how do you see the future unfolding for you? Um. Uh, so. Physically, most, especially female performers, um, slow down. They don't necessarily stop, um, but they slow down around 35. I, it, that's been my experience of it from watching other people. Mm. Um, men generally uh, last a little bit longer. In fact, I've seen many men performing like into their 60s um but yes i am aware that there is a point where (laughs) it needs to slow down um and i think that's why for me anyway um it's one of the reasons why i am pushing not just for the performing side of stunts but also Mm -hmm. for the rigging and the um stunt assist side because they're things you don't you don't throw yourself on the ground very often <laughs> for yeah. those, um, for those roles, and so there is, um, yeah, there's that that you can keep doing. Um, it it is on my mind. Um, will I be doing this like until I'm sixty? And there are many um, stunt performers who are a lot of the people who I look up to um, and who are coordinators, stunt coordinators now are still doing it well into their 60s, um, even 70s, I think. Um, yeah, 
um, inside that, I sorry. One of the reasons I ask is you're probably a bit young, but there was a martial artist called Chuck Norris, and mm. obviously not the only martial artist, but he, he did really well in the films, and you know he, he he did well in his in his discipline in his sport, but he also he did really well from the movie perspective. And I I remember watching him later in life, and there was a he was he was um, visiting a, a war zone, and he was walking with his serviceman, and one of them said, you know, give me give me a roundhouse to the head, Chuck, and. Um, you know, he chose to give him a headlock instead, and there was a reason for it. And and I, I don't think I mean Chuck wasn't explaining it, and I don't think the, the 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 person who requested it knew what was going on. But it was pretty clear to me why Chuck had defaulted to to something else because, you know, there is a lot of hip wear on 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 kickers and kickers especially kick high. Um, it really does put a lot of wear around around your hip joint. So he he I, I assume that he you know he was struggling in the hips. Um, and he had to compensate in his responses. So, uh, yeah. and, and and that's just a reality of, of, you know, he was a great athlete and, 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 you know, probably looked after his body really well, but he wasn't young at the time. And, and that's, that's a byproduct, you know, collateral damage of playing the sport. Yeah. Yeah. And that's very evident in stunt performers as well. I, I know very, very few performers who don't, who haven't had uh, some bone break, some, muscle tear yeah. uh, and who aren't still complaining about it years on. But very, you very do few. have an advantage, Heather. You have an advantage. You have, an, you have, a, you have a performance advantage because you've worked with me for a while. And <laughs> I, I, I'm not saying in your case, but like we'll get back to your case, but generally speaking, it's been pretty evident to me that if an athlete has had that gift, they've been able to move it forward and, and extend their career, like really extend their career or extend their performance. Uh, so, you know, I, that's my expectation based upon what history has shown me. So what did you learn? That's a pretty straight question. What did you learn that you're still applying today? Um, I remember when I used to train with you and I have actually uh, not tried replicating it, but taken a lot of bits of your, I remember there were, there were three main components. There was the stretching component the speed, uh, speed technique component and then the strength component. Um, and I definitely still try to train so that I have a balance of all three. I will always do uh, static stretch training, like not just as, you know, say, a warm-up to the strength, but I will do static stretch training um, as its own training session. Um, you've got the tr the technique trainings, um, which I'll call the gymnastics stuff or um, Good. the martial arts or whatever. Yes. Um, and then there's the, the strength component, um, which, yeah, well, it's obvious what that is. Um, and I have always tried to keep all three of those and not uh, skip out. Um, and I have definitely noticed in the past that if I overdo one um, part of that, say I do too much stre uh, stretching and don't keep the strength up, then I will do, uh, for me anyway, a hip injury because I will do too many kicks and my legs will be too flexible um, and I'll tear something in my groin. I've, I've had that before, so I've noticed or at least something that I try to keep up is you've got to keep a balance of 
all three of those things. It's a key word, balance. Skip, yeah. <laughs> not skip out on one of them. Good. Um, now, there's another area that when you came yeah. here, you were a little bit broken. Physically, you had some um, injuries, if from I recall. And so there were some lessons that you might have learned about injury rehab or injury prevention. Hopefully, they're still with you today. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, I still think I've got room to improve in that area. I'm still a little bit um, reactionary with it. If that makes sense, I yeah, no, still... I understand exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> I will still wait until, well, not wait, but yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I will train. I will feel a niggle, and then I'll go, okay, why is that niggle happening? And then mm -hmm. strengthen whatever that is um, to make sure that the niggle goes away. I won't let let it get to the point where it becomes Good a girl. chronic injury, mm -hmm. which a lot of people do. Mm -hmm. Um. But yes, I'm not. I'm not particularly good at preempting what injuries are going to occur. I suppose nobody is. But well, I think I think in, in all fairness, when you're focused on on accelerating yourself into a new in, into a new discipline, you're pretty uh, involved and engrossed in that pursuit. And it, it, you know, that's in, the, in those moments you do need, a, you know, an outside independent third party, you know, in other words, some form of coach or mentor saying, "Listen, what do you think?" Um, you know, being being your conscience, tapping on the shoulder, sort of stuff. So, uh, you've done well to to, you know, make a, a what I'd call a, a late life. And I know it's not late, but it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a career change, a directional change. Um, yeah. When you did, so I, I can fully understand. So. I know the coaches are probably going to wonder about this, but and I, I'm not into this stuff because I tell you what, I, I I wouldn't know who's who in the zoo when it comes to you know so-called celebrities. But just tell me, what are the what are some of the highlight roles that you've had? And, and, and this is for the listener more than me because I, I I don't watch movies generally speaking. So you know, I, I'm not going to be there's going to be no stars flying out of my mind. But <laughs> um, I'm sure someone here is more in tune with with media than I am. So talk to you about some of the some of the roles, some of the um, programs you've been involved in? I think there are probably several answers depending on how you word the question. My favourite mm -hmm. stunt, mm -hmm. so not my biggest, but the, my favourite stunt that I've ever done was actually very Good. recent. Mm -hmm. um, it was on a show. Oh, actually, I don't know if I'm allowed to say. Okay, there we <laughs> it was don't, on a show. Don't, yeah, it was on a show. Don't go there. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, it was on a a TV show that hasn't yep. come out yet. Yep. Good um, and for it, I had to do a head burn, um, as in a head fire burn. So they put yeah. the fuel on your head as well as on your body, um, which is very rare. Mm -hmm. Usually the focus for the fire burn is to keep the flames as far as like away, away from your face. Yeah. Um, and so we did rehearsals for this stunt and I was quite nervous in the rehearsals um, and then we got to the actual day and a lot of what you want to do as a stunt performer especially when you're doubling so in this particular case I was doubling another actress so she does all the acting stuff mm -hmm. um, and she um, so she did all the acting for the, the first half of the scene and then when she 
sets herself on fire, I step in and do the second half. So a lot of what you do as a stunt double is you want to copy. You want to copy the body language. You want to copy the movement. You want to copy how she did everything in the scene so that you can um, give the most similar performance and it cuts mm-hmm. in as best as possible into the film. Mm-hmm. Um, so on this particular day, um, I watched um, this girl do the first half of the scene and in the scene, so she's a, uh, she's, the character is a pretty crazy person. She sets herself on fire. She sets her hair on fire and that's what causes her head to go up. Um, and she was high on some drug substances. Um, and so I watched this actress do it. And she looked pretty insane doing <laughs> this scene. And when it came to copying her, um, I had been quite nervous about how it would look just because it's kind of a weird thing to act, especially what was going on. Um, uh, But it got into the moment where I took over and it's like something let go in my head and I didn't care what anybody else thought. All I cared about was becoming that girl in this moment Mm. and setting myself on fire and it was the most freeing stunt that I have ever done and it was almost it was the most relaxed that I have ever been doing a stunt and I was on fire which is two things that you don't normally say in a sentence Mm -hmm. and it went extraordinarily well I because I was able to let go and be a crazy person dancing around on fire. And so, yes, for that, for that reason, just how freeing it was, uh, that was my favourite stunt ever, yeah, stunt that I've ever done. And, yeah. Um, and, well, yeah, there were answer. a lot of, yeah. Um, yes. <laughs> wasn't the biggest stunt it wasn't the what I would have called the most dangerous it might sound dangerous I had a very very good safety team and I trusted them completely um there were safety protocols in place um but yes it was the the one that I enjoyed most and look back on most fondly in hindsight well I appreciate that and I'm also very very um Happy that you didn't step over the line there and say things that, that get us both into trouble. So you, yeah. you, you just confidentiality, which is good. That is good. Um, you know, because that's that's important. That's where trust comes in too, doesn't it? You know, if you slip up and it's then it affects trust. So before I exhaust all the questions, I've got quite a few coaches from around the world, literally around the world on the on the line, and they're here because they may have a question for you. Um, mm-hmm. it could be it could be about anything, but I'm sure that you you you're right for it. So what I'm going to do. And I'm going to get them to maybe send me a, a message in the message box because I'm pretty keen to get the order right. Um, it doesn't matter what order, but I just uh, I'll see you going to go first. Actually, if you could come off mute um, if you, with your question as soon as you're ready to go. So we're looking for first person to come off mute. 
and that will rely on my management of the panel. Okay, so yeah, you. Yeah, go I, go I, ahead, David. So this is David. Will you introduce yourself, David? All right. Uh, first of all, Heather, thank you for uh, the interview. Appreciate that. I'm uh, Dave. I'm a coach from Belgium. Um, and uh, my question is, I was wondering how does a typical like training day or training week look like for you now? If that exists, a typical training day. Yeah. Hello. Nice to meet you. <laughs> um, it does vary very much depending on... Uh, whether or not I'm full-time or not. So when I'm full-time, you can be doing 14-hour days. Um, and if you're performing, then you're doing a 14-hour day of performing. And so you're usually pretty exhausted. So full-time, I train annoyingly little. I wish I had the energy to train more. Um, when I'm not full-time, um, it is very varied still depending on uh, what discipline I'm working towards. Um, so sometimes that might be driving. Um, sometimes um, it could be more gymnastic based. Um, sometimes it's more fighting based. So usually I will try to find myself uh, a club or a, um, um, I can't remember the word, let's go with club, um, that trains whatever discipline it is that I'm looking to do um, and I will go to that facility usually as many times as they let me um, in a week. So three to five times a week I'll go to their facility um, and do whatever that is. So um, use gymnastics as an example. Um, and then they there are also stunt open sessions um, where you go along and there are other stunt performers um, who are there um, and you can kind of take what you've learnt in, um, in those facilities, so a Muay Thai place or a gymnastics place, and you can kind of turn it, uh, put a stunt um, component into it. So um, instead of doing a perfectly formed back handspring, you mess up the back handspring, but in a safe way. Um, and so probably go to that sort of thing twice a week. Um, and they're, all those sessions are usually somewhere between an hour and two hours long, sometimes three. I find three a bit much. <laughs> three in a row, I mean. Um, so, yes, and then a lot of the time you do mix disciplines. It's not just gymnastics. Um, it'll be uh, a driving, you'll have a driving day in there um, where you get together with a bunch of stunt performers and you go and do skids of some description um, or a precision driving or something or other, or you'll go out on a, mo a motorbike ride, um, go to a track or something or other like that. Um, and so... Yeah, it'll be a bit mixed, but yes, when I'm not full time, um, yeah, it's probably somewhere for me anyway, somewhere between twenty and thirty. Let's go with thirty hours a week um, of actual uh, physical training, 
Um, yeah. I know it doesn't look like I train more than I know most stunt performers do, or at least most most of the people who are in Victoria. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, You're not surprised yeah. by that at all, either. <laughs> yeah, yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. Looks like a lot of variation. Yeah, yeah, it's very, very, very varied. Yeah, um, and balance. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Excellent. Appreciate David. So as you guys back off, you go ahead. Hey, Heather, this is Tom. I'm in the US. In, Hello. Uh, Los Angeles, actually. How? What's a full-time schedule for a stunt performer? Like, how many projects do you work on in a year? Ooh. Uh, again, very, very varied. Um, so this year, uh, I was casual with part-time hours, so three or four days a week on probably three or four different productions up until about March. Um, so that's not three or four days a week on each production. That's three or four days a week in total across three or four different productions. Um, that was up until March. And then March this year, I started full-time on a show called La Brea. And that was nine months, which is the longest stint I've ever done full-time. Um, that finished two weeks ago so this year I've only worked on say five productions um in previous years I haven't had any full-time um work at all so it's all been three or four days a week made up of many different productions um yeah it can depend on how much is going through as well and it also depends which uh, on which state you're working in because um, Victoria gets less films. And so that's why there's less full-time work for non-stunt coordinators, I think, in Victoria, whereas in New South Wales and Queensland, you'll get the massive big films, the, the big Marvel films, um, and they usually take on ginormous full-time teams, like 20 people full-time teams. Um, but, so La Brea, which is the full-time team I was on recently, we had a full-time team of four. Um, so, yeah, again, very, very as to um, full-time, part-time, how many I work on um, type thing. Do you, do you get a lot of advance notice for a project or to prepare for it or is it just kind of the same as when you're working, ready to go? Not usually. Um, so... Yeah, again, using La Brea as an example, they would be writing the script essentially right up until we shot whatever it was. Um, so the stunts we had in that would change on a daily basis. Um, if it's a film, then you do you can get a lot of notice. If it's a big stunt, you generally do get notice because you need to have rehearsals. Um, <coughs> sorry. Um, uh, I generally don't like to be the person that just says yes to everything. And then once you've said yes to, say, doing a wheelie on a motorbike, 
um, than going and going, okay, now I, want to, and now I have to figure out how to do this by this day that I have to do it on set. I'm not the type of, that's very stressful to me. There are people who do that and there are people who do that very successfully. I am not one of them. <laughs> I like the preparation. I like to be able to do whatever it is they are asking me to do and be sure that I can do it to the level that they want. Sometimes that does lose me work. Mm. Um, I'm less confident than some people with selling myself, but also I have never ended up in a situation where I have let a, let a coordinator down or let a production down because I make sure that I can do whatever they want before and I know and I'm always very honest with, yes, I can do this part of what you want, but I can't do this part. Mm. Um, is that okay? And they go, yeah, that's okay. We can change the second movement or whatever it is. Um, cool. Yeah, I've forgotten what the original question was, but... Just about preparation, like advanced. Uh, oh yeah. You know in advance, and then I have one last kind of two-part question. What was the most physical stunt that you've done that you remember? And what about? Uh, has there any new skills that you had to learn that stick out for uh, um, project? Physical. <laughs> I know they're all probably physical to some extent just wonder I know the fire yeah really cool. just wondering if there's some other ones there so down the parkour line of things there was um a target commercial that I did once um and it looks so simple and the way they cut it together you can barely tell how difficult it was um the I had to jump uh, over this uh, this wall, which was, I don't know, um, two meters. Let's go two meters high. So I had to run up, um, run up a deck chair, jump over this wall, which was technically off the edge of the building, but it was onto a, a scaffolding. And then there was a second half to the shot where I had to jump in through a window that was, say, seventy five centimeters um, tall. Um, land, do a roll, land in front of camera um, and throw this present toward a uh, present being a, um, a like a, a gift um, towards the camera um, and have it land so that it perfectly slid along the floor and hit a perfect mark in front of the camera. <coughs> um, and so the jump, the jump over the wall was physically, it was just such a big jump. Yeah. Um, <coughs> sorry, I've got cough. Um, yeah, the jump, such a big jump. And then the, yeah, just the other side of how intricate they wanted it to not hit my head on the, um, the little window. Um, and then land and roll and get this present to, <coughs> oh, dear. Um, um, to land flat. So, Tom, let, let me ask Tom a question. <coughs> in your previous life in, in Hollywood, inverted commas, and I say that loosely because Tom, Tom was an assistant to a director in, 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 the, in, in that um, 
in that uh, area. Did you have any exposure to American studies, um, Tom, or just mainly actors of uh, conventional sense? Yeah, I didn't have any exposure. Sorry, I'm switching rooms because my uh, there's background noise. Um, <laughs> exposure to stunt work, just uh, just actors stuff like that. Before I was in the physical preparation world, I was an assistant to uh, agent and a manager. Yeah. Oh, which, awesome. which, which brings me to ask Heather, if you've got a question, <coughs> don't, don't let me interrupt you, but do, do studies in Australia use agents and managers? Sorry, can you ask that question again? Do, do studies out. in Australia use agents ah. or managers? Um, again, varies. Um, there is an agency in Victoria. Um, some people go through it. Some people don't. <coughs> um, I'm a freelancer. Um, usually you will go through um, an agency if you aren't so good at the networking side of it. That's not a, not a general, not a rule. Um, but if you'd like to have someone else out there who is pushing to get you work, then you can go through an agency. I enjoy networking myself. I like putting myself out there. I like being in contact with stunt coordinators. And um, so, yeah, I don't necessarily need the agency. And the downside to the agency is that some coordinators won't hire you if you are through one. Yeah. Um, it's another very political side of the industry um so yes there are mo i would say most people choose not to be through an agency but you can um whereas i think in acting especially you kind of need to be through one or you don't really get work yeah yeah, yeah it's very complicated uh layered situation so I, i'm going <laughs> to ask another question shortly but but before i ask my next question i'm just going to see whether there was another question from any of the coaches. So if there was a coach question, just come off mute and... Yeah, Ian, I've got one. I have a question. So we're going to go Mitchell and then we're going to Tong and then I think Mike Killer also came off mute. So we've got a few to go. Mitchell, go ahead. So Heather, um, from Australia here on the Gold Coast, just a question on your skill acquisition, like ongoing. Do you... Is that just self-directed or have you acquired all the skills or do you guys get together all the stunnies and work on developing new skills? How, how does that work? Um, so, uh, especially with the rigging side of stunts, um, you need to get a bunch of tickets. So most riggers or some riggers anyway, will have, um, basic intermediate and advanced rigging. Some of them have scaffolding. Then there's like, um, heavy machinery licenses. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a million and one tickets that you can get that'll help you get jobs. Um, as the... Um, the skills where <coughs> you can't um, get a ticket for it. So say gymnastics, then stunties do get together and train together pretty often. Um, you do work on skills together usually. <coughs> oh, my gosh. Um, people will find a training group that they prefer to work with. Um and, yeah, you'll generally work with those people on whatever it is that you want to work on. And sometimes um, the training group that I'm most associated with will do kind of um, 
phases where sometimes we'll do 10 weeks of wire work and then we'll do 10 weeks of fighting for film or something or other like that. Yeah, Josh, gotcha. thank you. <coughs> Muted in. Yeah, thanks for that, Mitchell. So, uh, Tong, I think you were next with a question. Hi, Heather. It's Tong from the US. I'm very practical and I'm very curious about in your profession, what is your insurance policy look like? Do you have your own or is it a universal one that all stunt people have to get? So uh, it's, an, it's a, another very political part of the industry. Um, <coughs> so if you run trainings as a stunt performer, then you will need to have, or it is a very good idea to have uh, third-party insurance in case someone hurts themselves and that's the way it happens. Um, most insurers won't insure you personally for uh, I can't remember what it's called. Um, I was about to say, if you lined up for income insurance, they'd probably laugh at you. No, they won't. They won't give it to you and you. Um, they won't even give it to you if, say, every single stunt performer in Australia decided to get together and put money forward to trying to get a, um, a personal insurance policy. They still, It's still too, way too expensive. So for I'm production, I'm not even sure whether you'd get life insurance, would you? <laughs> yeah, the I haven't tried. <laughs> I have not tried. <laughs> um, uh, so when we actually work on productions, the we will work as um, uh, uh, oh no, what's the word? We'll be an employee of the production company that we work for, and so we'll be covered by their insurance. So if something goes wrong when you're on set, you will be covered personally for all your injuries by that production. Um, that's if you're working as an employee of the company, which in Australia at least, and I don't know about other countries, you should always do. Um, and it's usually only the dodgier production companies that don't offer that to you. It's fairly unrecommended to work through an ABN. People do do it. I have done it before. But the problem with that is that you aren't covered by <clears throat> production insurance. Um, so, and yeah, like we were just saying, you can't really get your own. So you're essentially working uninsured. If you, um, if you're a contractor, or something like that, so yeah, for me at the moment, I will only work as an employee of a production company, and so I'm always covered by the insurance of that production. <clears throat> there you go, Tong. How's that sound? That's good. It was fascinating. Thank you, Heather. Good stuff. Appreciate Tong. And I think Mike Keeler may have had a question. Mike, if you want to introduce yourself, if you did have a question, or is that Mitchell? No, I might have got the mics mixed up. No, there we go, Mike. Uh, was that you with the question? <laughs> Can
Okay, um, Mike is jumping up and down. Uh, he's, he's... If you're there, Mike, um, put it forward. Otherwise, I'll go with my next question if there's not another question from another coach. I got a question, Ian. Go ahead, Greg. Hi, Heather. My name is Greg. I'm a, a coach from California. Hello. How's it going? Um, thanks for being on the call. Um, my question is, in your fight training, do you lean towards a specific type of martial arts or is it more, is it more mixed? For me, I'm very mixed. I'm not a specialist fighter. There are a lot of specialist fighters in stunts. Um, my main training is probably Taekwondo and Muay Thai. That's not to say I'm an expert in either of them. It just means that I have done them. Um, fighting for film is very different to traditional martial arts. Um, just because in film, everything needs to be seen and read by the camera and the person who you're performing with the person who you're fighting um so your movements are often quite exaggerated um so yeah in so in that regard a lot of my fight experience has been in fighting for films specifically which kind of like stunt fighting um i know a lot of stunties, so a lot of my friends do wushu. Um, that's more of a recent thing, though. The last couple of years, they all seem to have really honed in, honed in on the wushu. Um, but yeah, in general, they're very, very mixed in which martial art that they do. Um, yeah, the ones they recommend beginners start out with are Muay Thai and Taekwondo. Taekwondo for the kicks and Muay Thai for the general footwork and the um, general punching type stuff. <laughs> there you go, Gregor. Cool. I have seen... Hello. I've seen some Hello. of the clips other, so I picked up your dozen training. Yeah, Victor, go ahead. We've got Victor. Introduce yourself, Victor. Uh, Hello, hi Heather, thanks for coming over. Uh, I'm Victor from Singapore. And I've got a Hello. question about I've got a question about your nutrition. So actually it's a two part question. So how you handle your nutrition? And the second part is is there any difference when uh, you are doing like training uh, when there's when you're not in the production and when you're in the Sorry, I couldn't um, so he, he, I know he asked about nutrition. He wanted, he wanted to know how you handle nutrition, and I think in particular on a, on a production day, you know, those long days, was there any, any strategies that you're using to manage your nutrition? <laughs> Don't eat off the crafties trolley all day. <laughs> they, so on La Brea, um, they had what they call a crafties trolley, um, which is basically just a trolley of chocolate. And when you're sitting around for 10 hours doing nothing and you're very bored and your feet hurt because you've been standing around for ages, it can become very, very difficult not to have a chocolate every now and then. And by the time you get to the end of the day, you've had quite a number of chocolates. <laughs> so that can be an issue. Um, yes. <laughs> Thankfully, most productions which aren't doing continue, so you can do continuous hours, which is where you don't get a lunch break and you kind of just snack all day, um, or uh, not so you, normal hours, so you get a lunch break. 
Um, if it's normal hours, then usually they give you um, a buffet-style lunch that kind of died during COVID because they didn't want germs getting into the buffet stuff. Um, so they um, they give you a list of options. Um, uh, say there's a fish option, there's a pork option, there's a vegetarian option and a vegan option, and you pick which one you want and they give you a box of whatever it is that you chose. Um, so I, I not, not because I've done it, but I know from watching um, my friends try um i've got one friend who is a vegan who can't eat tofu and i know that she really struggles on set to eat anything because they just don't have food for her um and i've got what is it is it keto i think it's a keto diet that's another one that is very very difficult to follow on set and i think he often brings a lot of his own food um I I don't really do any sort of diet or anything like that. I um, can't just try to eat healthily um, and balanced. I don't really try to cut anything out. I don't. I'm not ve vegetarian or vegan. Um, yes, I don't really do specific stuff with my nutrition apart from common sense i could sense. share i could share you with my chocolate technique um because i'm a chocoholic and it's <laughs> i don't eat chocolate before the sun sets because if i start before the sun sets i'm gonna eat too much yeah, that's a really good way <laughs> it's just, that's the rule i say do you eat chocolate no not until the sunset <laughs> yep <laughs> i used to try and keep it to one or two a day <laughs> yeah little ones so it's not like you're eating a whole 12 bar or whatever <laughs> But yes, it, um, eating on set especially can be difficult. <laughs> and I think that's why... Uh... Oh, yeah, you're muted. Oh, thanks for sharing, Heather. That's very interesting. No problem. I hope that was the uh, correct question, <laughs> answer. <laughs> okay. So, any final questions from any of the coaches? Come off mute if you are. I have. A, my name is Rob. I'm from the UK. And um, thanks for being on the call, first of all. No problem. Thank and you. My, my question is, with the, the parkour and the tumbling, what surfaces are you typically landing on in terms of uh, mats, you know, concrete, grass, and has the industry's expectations changed over the years in terms of uh, what they want and um, the performance to land on, that kind of thing? Um. Again, can depend on the stunt. They can ask you, or at least it's a very good idea to be able to do any skill that you tell them that you can do. You need to be able to do it on concrete because you might you might have to. They don't necessarily know until the day that you're doing a stunt that they want it on concrete. Um, maybe uh, it's rained and a flood's gone through and it's taken away all the grass. And then it's been really sunny and suddenly you're doing it onto really dry dirt, which is essentially feels like concrete. Um, so, yes, it's a very good idea to be able to do everything that you can do onto concrete. Um, it's a good idea to at least have experienced falling 
uh, on to concrete-like surfaces um, and to be condi conditioned to doing that sort of thing because you are probably going to have to do it. Um, and, yeah, you may not know until you're doing it that you were going to do it onto concrete. Um, for me, especially with training, I won't always train onto concrete. Um, I will make sure that most of my training is on soft stuff just because it isn't worth training myself stupid on concrete, injuring myself and then knocking myself out for three months because, um, because I've been trying to condition my body to work on concrete all the time. I, I don't do it. There are people who do do that and believe in only concrete training. I'm not that person. Um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan of sticking softer and knowing that you can do it on concrete than always doing it in the worst possible scenario, if that makes sense. And I would agree with that decision. Good girl. Excellent. Thank you, Eva. Excellent. Thank you, Robert. And uh, Robert's from the UK, in case he didn't introduce himself. And if his accent didn't give that away, I mean, you, you, Heather sounds like she just left the old data a few weeks ago sometimes, but that's another story. Any other coaches with a question? So I'm just rolling up and down. So it looks like I'm going to get the last uh, question in, Heather. So... In 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 our in Australia in the seventies, eighties, and even into the nineties, athletes would leave their home state and often travel and to live in Victoria. Believe it or not, now you had the Victorian Basketball League, the VBL, the, the Victorian Football League, the VFL, uh, as examples, and even weightlifting. I think you'd probably end up in Victoria. My question is, why did you end up in Victoria? And you don't have to answer it because you've just no. told me that it's not the it's not the epicenter of stunt work in Australia. Um, in my very early days, um, I was I was really young in the industry. I graded to, uh, as in, I became qualified as soon as I could. So when I was eighteen. Um, and from what I'd seen at that point, I didn't think that I was going to have a very good chance at getting a lot of stunt work if I, if I tried to push for the big films, which were generally what was going through Queensland at that time. They just had Pirates of the Caribbean. They just had Thor Ragnarok, I think. Um, and because of my youth and inexperience, I thought that I would be better off going to a place where there was um lower grade TV or not lower grade but um uh, less competition to get not, the role yeah um this yeah just not not big films not big marvel films um and also uh i ended up so when i was still living in queensland i decided that i would do a networking trip 
to Melbourne to go and meet some of the, the coordinators down here and see if I could just get casual work down here. So I'd fly, um, I'd fly from Queensland to Melbourne for the work. Um, and so I came down here and I met a bunch of the coordinators and essentially that networking trip went really well. Um, and I remember sitting on the bank of the Yarra River in mm-hmm. St Kilda and looking at the city and I just I was sitting there and I literally just made the decision I'm going to move to Melbourne and I did <laughs> so it wasn't necessarily it wasn't it was a very thought out decision but it wasn't um, it wasn't a decision where I knew hands down that I definitely wanted to do it before I did it. Um, yeah. Um, no, I, appreciate that. I don't I regret just, it. Yeah. Well, a lot of young people do like moving to Melbourne. It's, uh, there's a lot more yeah. on offer. Apparently. Uh, I don't know if it's frozen for anyone else, but it's frozen for me. Yeah, for us too. Ah, good. Okay, so that ah. was my internet. Um, all good. Um, we're going. We'll we'll wrap our chat at that. Um, coaches, I appreciate your presence. More importantly, uh, Heather, and, and and listen. When when I reached out to you, you got a bit. Did you get a bit of a surprise? You saying who was that? Who was that old person <laughs> stalking me on the internet or something like that? No. What's weird, uh, so um, I'd actually had, um, I can't remember, I had been thinking uh, about you and your trainings probably two weeks before you messaged. Um, I think also mum might have messaged me first. Um, So your message wasn't necessarily a surprise. Um, But, yes, I I had actually been thinking about your trainings very, very soon before you before yeah, you actually came up in conversation, which I thought was pretty uh, pretty funny. Um, but yes, no, so it wasn't a surprise at all. <laughs> there you go. It's um, maybe more than a coincidence. Well, you know where I am, and if you ever need anything to uh, help that vehicle take you further, because that's what it is. Um, you know, you've obviously got the sharpest mind on the planet, and you just need the body to follow. Really proud of what you've done. Um, proud of you following your passion in particular, and having the courage to to change direction at that stage of of your life. And I've no doubt, never doubted your ability to do so. I was not surprised at all. I've, I've been watching your your career from a distance um, over the years. So I thought it was time to you know get the lessons that you could share with our coaches, and uh, they're, they're they're very committed to learning. Uh, Athletes from all disciplines. We uh, are very unique in the world that we handle athletes in all disciplines, and that's our that's our approach. That's our history. So it's it's always uh, a great learning opportunity for our coaches to get exposed to people who are passionate and successful in their in their chosen path. So we we appreciate your contribution to our day. Thank you very very much for having me. <laughs> we know the journey is only just beginning, and we're looking forward to seeing where it takes you and. As I say with all the athletes I've worked with, I know that girl. (laughs) (laughs) Yes.
thankfully I'm not the not the type of person who actually wants to be famous. <laughs> no, no, we, we we have that in common. It's 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 about self fulfillment and it's about making a difference and you you know and following your passion. So. You know that that's me as well. So we 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 don't we have that in common. But um, you know, I just uh, I just joke around when I say that to the athlete to help them you know, <laughs> raise their self esteem because you know I would never do it anyway. Like uh, I can tell you some funny stories. My my kids just shake their head because they talk about people. I don't know who the hell that I may have even worked with them. I don't even know who they are. But anyway, um, it's it's um, I don't uh, focus on that as you do uh, as you've just said. You don't focus on that's. Uh, that's probably why you can do stunt work because you want to be the if you want to be the the, the the face of the film, you probably wouldn't be doing stunt work. Yeah, nah, no, it's nah. very, very unsatisfying in that regard. You often uh, don't get acknowledged, or the actress pretends that they've done their own stunts, and you're, no, you didn't. But okay. Yes, yeah, I understand that. And then you're flat out seeing seeing your name for three seconds on the screen in the credits, maybe then it rolls through, and you have to oh, have a sharp eye to see like that again. They forget to put you in it. That's very common. God. Yeah, you're not going to mention it. Really? <laughs> it's a long list. Heather, it's a long list. Yeah. Excellent. Well, really appreciate your time. I don't know the coaches appreciate, and they'll all be watching you moving forwards. And uh, as I said, really proud of what you've done. And uh, it's, there's so much more out there for you as you, you continue to master the, the diverse disciplines required in your, in your chosen field. Thank you very, very much.